Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. First, a genuine thank you to my patrons. You help make the show possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, DM. And as always, 10% of the money I bring in each month from ads and supporters like you will be donated to Encircle, a local LGBTQ plus youth charity. Check out my link tree for more information. And now onto this episode's guest announcement. Enrique, known as Newbie DM, has been blogging about D&D for more than a decade. He started running games in 4th edition, saw the need for a place for new DMs to come find tips, tricks, resources, and more, and thus the Newbie DM blog was created, and Enrique's been sharing his knowledge and love for the game ever since. Enjoy! Alright, so first of all, uh, hi, and thank you for having me on, Derek. I appreciate the invite. So my name is Enrique, uh, online as a newbie DM. I got into D&D, I want to say, when I was in high school, a long time ago, so over 30 years ago. Started playing D&D First Edition. I got into fantasy a little bit before that. You know, I, I wasn't one of those kids who grew up with Lord of the Rings and grew up, you know, my, my, my intro to fantasy was honestly the Dragonlance series mm-hmm. in middle school and the the uh, Lone Wolf series of game books that came out sometime in the 80s. And those were really my my introduction to the fantasy genre. And, and it kind of took off from there with D&D in high school. And then I discovered the Star Wars RPG, the West End Games RPG around the same time. And I was hooked. You know, I could either be a hero from one of those Dragonlance books that I really enjoyed, or I could be Han Solo. There was really not going back after that. You know, <laughs> once, I, once they shot that into my veins, I, that was it. I was done. So that's really it. I mean, and I've been playing nonstop, you know, pretty much. You know, I, I kind of skipped over the third edition era a little bit, but pretty much I've been, you know, pretty prolific D&D player. And then once 4E came out, I started DMing and, and I haven't looked back since. You know, that was really my first introduction of dungeon mastering and game mastering in general. And then once that, you know, once I got that bug, that, that's it. That I've been the forever DM after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of us are. So yeah. do you remember how you decided to get into running games and do you remember what your first game was like kind of how it went for you i do i i got into running games because fourth edition had come out i hadn't been playing for a while because you know hand in hand with the release of third edition came me getting married and starting a family and and that sort of thing and so i i kind of walked away from from gaming but once fourth edition came out you know my my daughter was maybe three or four years old. My my son had just been born. And I started getting the itch again to, to play D&D. So I basically what I did was, you know, I pulled the Blues Brothers and I got the band back together. <laughs> you know, I called my buddies and I said, listen, there's a new edition of D&D coming out. Why don't we try it? Let's play it. I'll DM it. And we gave it a shot. You know, I got the books. I, I read through them and I said, eh, I could do this. The DMing for fourth edition. Fourth edition made DMing really easy. They made it very, very easy for someone to get into a dungeon master. And... You know, I got into the whole thing with the maps and the minis and, and you know, I was all in. And that's it. I, I started running games and, and I remember my first session. My first session was very, 
it was very mechanical, I, I want to say, because fourth edition had this, you know, had a lot of moving parts and a lot of it was very tactical and it, it was a lot more tactical than I remember D&D being at the time. Mm-hmm. Because second edition wasn't really like, and since I had skipped over third edition, I mean, I was familiar with third edition, but I never really, you know, I played it every now and then, but I didn't really get into it. So fourth edition was like, wow, this is really different, but it was a fun different. So I got into the whole, you know, mechanical and tactical aspect of it, and the whole minis thing. And then after about a few years of that, I got burnt out <laughs> and moved on to something else. But then I came back to the fold with, with fifth edition. Yeah. It's good to hear some other fourth edition fans out there. I know it's a very polarizing edition, but I've had a few guests say it was the worst game they've ever played, and I've had a few guests say they love it. So it's it's funny how different people see the same game. All right. So the question I love asking on this show, and you know, the the kind of the the focal point of it is what are some of the worst moments or mistakes that you feel like you have made while running games? You know, the, the name of the show is How Not to DM. What are some instances that you can share with us about how you ran a game that ended up terribly that we can try to avoid ourselves? So I think one of the big mistakes that people make, and, and certainly I don't want to generalize, but certainly I made yeah. when I first started running games was I, you know, I, I tried to homebrew a game, which is, is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong from with the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, game. there's nothing wrong with yeah. homebrewing. Everybody home. I think everybody, most people probably homebrew or not, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I got sucked into was creating this massive amount of lore and this huge world and this huge amount of backstory that nobody cares about at the table. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, very little, of, you know, very little attention is placed on all that lore you're writing. And at the end of the day, you know, you're doing more work writing yourself a novel for your world than you are creating fun stuff for your players at the table. And I've learned to distance myself from all that world building and all that lore. And, you know, and, and for some people, it's, you know, it's therapeutic and they love writing and they, you know, and I get it. And that's fine. There's really absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you always have to, you know, you always have to keep a careful eye on, on how and where, you, you know, the context of how you use that at the table, because not everybody's going to care about your 10 pages of lore that you're <laughs> spewing at the players while they're just trying to fight goblins, you know? Yep. Yep. So, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give people is start small and then expand from there. You know, no one needs you to detail out a world for day one. Your session zero, you know, start small. Maybe it's the town they're in. Maybe it's the little village they're from, you know, and, and build out from there. And, and, and don't be shy about letting the players add to the world. You know, it takes a lot of work off your shoulders when the players are creating stuff. And why not? I mean, they're they're the stars of the movie. They're the ones that live in this world. It's You should embrace it, not walk away from it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, any other kind of things that you feel like you ran into that were problems in your early games or in your current games? It's a problem that I still have today, right? I'm not yeah. very tactically oriented. You know, I'm not a, I never played tactical miniatures games. I wasn't a Warhammer fan. I wasn't, you know it's not my thing right so the dm is especially in a game like 4e you know you you were pitting the dm against five other brains right and you had to be a tactical dungeon master like you had to to think for these monsters and come up with these tactics because the game depended on tactical combat mm-hmm. and i found that to be a huge huge issue for me and 4e tried to mitigate some of that you know they gave the monsters roles like there was a lurker there was a striker there was this or that and it helped because it helped you put you know put yourself in the mindset of how the monsters would act 
but you're still competing against five other players. And if some of these players are more tactically oriented than you or, or you know, or really know their characters well and what they can do, eh, it, it, it's almost like a losing proposition as a DM. I felt that I had a hard time challenging players tactically, which is why I always leaned more into stories and less into the combats. But mm-hmm. that's also a fine balance because some players are there just for the combats. They could care less about your story. Some players are there for the story and could care less about combat. So you got to find a way to, you know, be a, be on everybody's good side there and balance things out so that everybody gets something out of the game. Yep. Yep. Balance is tricky, but it is important. Yeah. All right. On the other side of the coin, then, what are some of your favorite memories of things that have gone really well, like improv or combat or role-playing instances, you know, that you still all talk about today or, or you know, that were just extremely memorable? And uh, what, what lessons do you feel like DMs can take away from those good moments? There's a great section in the 4E DMG 2. And I think I want to say Robin Laws wrote it. And it's a section on player types and what each player type gets out of the game. And I think the best moments in the games come when you lean into those player types and afford the opportunity for each type of player to have a moment to shine. And when those moments happen, they usually tend to be the ones you remember and you speak about later, right? Uh So I'll give you an example from one of my last games. I am running a homebrewed campaign right now set in the Forgotten Realms. We just started a few weeks ago, so the characters are still low level. But one of the players is a, he wants his character, you know, his goal for the character is to become a diplomat and become like a, you know, like, like, like an ambassador type. He's an elf. So I always give him opportunities to negotiate. Like he's the, he's the face, he's the face guy who negotiates. And, and there was a really fun negotiation with some government officials and in Silvery Moon. I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole, the whole backstory there, but, but basically it was a really nice negotiation where he had a really, a good moment to show why he should be an ambassador. And we have a we have a thing in our game called the clutch of the night. So after our session ends every night, the players and I discuss who was the clutch player of the night. It could be because of a good combat scene. It could be because of a good role-playing scene. It could be whatever. Whatever the players decide the clutch of the night is, that player gains inspiration for the next session. So every gaming session, we have a clutch of the night player. That night it was him because of the, the negotiations went well and, and it led to certain things happening. And I think that leaning into each player type, like I have a guy who loves combat. That's all. He's all about combat. So I make sure to, you know, satisfy his needs. There's another guy who loves being able to sneak around and do sneaky things, right? So I make sure to give him something to do. And it's those moments when you lean into players. And and in my case specifically, I make it a point to lean into different player types in different sessions because I want different players to enjoy being the clutch of the night, right? And it just happens organically, even though I'm kind kind of making it happen, but, you know, under the surface. But it, but it does come out organically. And those are the moments, you know, you tend to remember. Like those good negotiations, that awesome combat. You know, a few sessions ago, there was a... Uh, the, the, the combat-oriented player actually got Clutch of the Night for a role-playing session because he was role-playing during the combat, mm. which is fun. So, you know, those are, those are the moments that I think stand out and people remember after the fact. Yeah, they do. And I love that you you kind of like try to set them up yourself, but you still give them opportunities to do what they're going to do. Because like you said, your, your combat oriented player, you know, went above and beyond kind of 
what they they might normally like to do to to kind of do something else. So I found as a DM, those moments are really satisfying for me as well, because I have designed something fun or interesting, and then they have as much fun or more fun than I thought they would, right? That to me, like, is satisfying for both parties. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I, I try to, I try to make my games feel cinematic, mm-hmm. right? And if that means making the NPCs a little bit over the top, <laughs> yeah, and, and to, to encourage role playing from the players, or that means making scenes seem really fantastical, you know, to make them stand out in their minds, like, wow, you know, those are the type of things that I think people remember, right? It's mm-hmm. not just a waterfall, but it's a waterfall that's, you know, 2,000 feet high and, and it's got this magical glowing, shimmering lights coming down of it that, you know, nobody knows why it happens, but, it, you know, that's just the way it is. Those are the moments where, you know, you're going to remember that. Oh, is that another magical shimmering waterfall? No, this was just a normal waterfall. Mm-hmm. But they remember those things and, and, you know, they just add like little, little touches to the game that you know, sometimes you don't even have to explain why things happen. They just do. And, and, and those moments, like, they stay with players after the fact. Yeah, they do. So who do you feel like have been your greatest influences on running games? You started playing when you were in high school, so when you were younger, but you kind of started running games more recently. Did you look to the internet for sources of, of uh, influence, or did you kind of lean heavily on people you played with when you were younger, or a mix of both? My DM, when I was when I got into D and think he's the guy that hooked me on D and D. That guy was a great DM. You know, I'm going back 30 years, so I can't remember too many specifics, but I remember the guy had a fantastic like imagination, and he he ran this homebrew world that was kind of it was a fantasy world, but it was set on a far future Earth. So like you could stumble upon the you know the remains of a Sherman tank from World War II. Uh, hidden in a hill somewhere you know it was like earth but in the far future and Mm -hmm. it had evolved into like a fantasy world so he had these pieces of the familiar blended into the fantasy which for me was great because i didn't really have a strong fantasy view so it helped ground the world for me a little bit i found his storytelling fascinating on the combat encounters and the things they would come up with which you know looking back i could see that some of it was just standard dnd fair but for me at the time i didn't know that you know so it was Oh, there's a get the Yankee riding a dragon. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you know, now I, I look back and I say, okay, well, that's just, you know, standard D&D stuff. But at the time when I was first started playing, that was like awesome stuff. But then when I started running 4E, the truth is that there really wasn't a whole lot of this online D&D world where people were, you know, it was, there was a few of us blogging. Mike Shaves, Slight Flourish, and I sort of started at the same time. Chatty DM and I sort of started at the same time. And he was doing a lot of blogging. And those guys, you know, we kind of built our own little community online on Twitter and stuff like that. And and we would learn from each other, I think, at the time. Like it was it was kind of like we were all talking to each other in the circular blogging sphere. And we kind of came up from there. You know, Mike and I are, are good friends. I've been to his house to play at his house. Like we're friends outside of the Twitter world. And I think he, you know, he's one of those guys where I like to read his stuff because I think the guy has a great, you know, he's really like gone all in on, on this whole D and D. Uh, DMing stuff and it's great because I, I I take a lot of you know from him and there's a few other you know guys that I read that you know I like to read a lot of the blogosphere I'm not a big video watcher I don't watch a lot of actual plays I don't watch a lot of the streams it's really not my thing I prefer to read stuff and, and read um advice columns and, and that sort of thing play reports 
so yeah, I mean, I, I think I, you know, a lot of the old timers is, is what I read the most, you know, the, the guys that, that when I was coming up, they were coming up as well. And, and mm. I tend to stick to some of that. And I yeah. do, you know, lately I've been reading a lot of Reddit DMing stuff, but yeah, yeah, I guess that's, that's it. So as a producer in sports television, are many of your coworkers aware of your hobby and what have been some funny or interesting questions you've gotten from people about it? I don't know if my coworkers are as interested in the hobby aspect of it as they are with the, hey, dude, what are you doing with 15,000 Twitter followers? Oh, <laughs> that, there you go. And then I have to explain what these followers are there for, right? Yeah. They're like, what are you talking to these people about? I'm like, well, you know, I, I play this game. <laughs> and those are always kind of like interesting conversations. The hobby itself, you know, when I'm at work, I'm not really too like vocal about my hobby. Not, not, yeah. not because I'm ashamed of it, but just because I'm, I'm at work, right? Although one yeah. time I was at the copy machine, and this is a true story. I was at the copy machine with a coworker. She was from another department, but we're at the copy machine together, and there was a map from the D&D starter set by the copy machine that someone had printed out. Yeah. And I said, oh, look, a D&D map from Lost Mine of Fandover. And she goes, oh, my God, you play D&D? And I'm like, yeah, I play D&D. She goes, oh, my God, I play D&D too. We should start a lunch <laughs> group. And we never did start that lunch group, but we spoke about it quite a bit. That's kind of a funny story. That is. <laughs> With my coworkers, you know, and not all of them, but certain coworkers, there's more about, dude, why do you have so many Twitter followers than anything else? That's really the, the talking point. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I can see that. I actually started playing not as a lunch group, but like like my first two or three sessions were at someone's house and then it was a, a lunch group at work. So funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. This episode of How Not to DM is brought to you by Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh new look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com. And next, a word from my friend John at Tale of the Manticore. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. And now, let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new minigame for Season 2. Welcome to Quickfire This week on Quickfire Chaos, Enrique and I are going to use some random generators online to pick some NPC traits and a side quest, and then we'll roleplay the encounter live. Okay. So the first one you're going to roll is your voice description. This is an accent, but it's just like how they sound. 
06. Speaks in enigmatic short stories rather than proper sentences. The example is the owl must once again hunt down the rabbit means I'm going out to get food. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Next thing is personality traits. 38. 38 is gullible. Will believe any information given regardless of how valid or truthful it is. Easily deceived or duped. All right. <laughs> okay. The second to last one is your job. Give you a little context. 34. 34 is a dairy farmer. The last thing is the thing you are sending us out to do. 21. A massive sinkhole has collapsed in the market square and you have lost all of your inventory and you want us to go try to find it. So a bunch of milk jugs are down in the sewer right. somewhere. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's let's get going. So I will play Guinevere the Sorcerer, and I'm showing up because I've heard that you have a job for me. Uh, sir, I have heard that you are in need of some assistance. You are the, the uh, owner of this dairy farm? Uh, I am the owner of the dairy farm, my friend. Yes, yes, the dairy farm. So... Uh, what, what do you need us to help with? Well, all my good ideas come to me when I'm milking a cow. Yeah. And I was milking a cow recently, and, well, I thought, well, maybe this chap here could help me. Uh, it seems that a sinkhole has opened in the market, and uh, I've lost all my uh, glass jugs. Now, I don't suppose the glass jugs are going to survive falling into a sinkhole. I understand that. But within those glass jugs, there was a very important item that I need to find. And it is a pearl. And why is this pearl important? Well, perhaps you've never seen a purple cow. But a purple cow gives you purple milk. And this pearl helps me uh, to purify this purple milk. Why do I have purple cows? That's a story for another day, my friend. Oh, I was about to ask, yes. It's not important. You see, the purple cow is... Uh, quite a well it's quite a sight to be seen and i don't like to show off my purple cows you see but but this pearl i need you to find this pearl in the sinkhole my friend uh, so that i can purify my purple milk and sell the purple milk to people like you who drink milk because you have fine teeth well thank you for the compliment what does this pearl look like is there a way we can distinguish it from whatever else is down do you there? know what the shape round is my friend uh, yes, I, I do. Do you know what the color white is, my friend? I Yes, I, I do. But do you know what yeah, um, about two inches is, my friend? Uh, okay, two inches. So yes. it's a two-inch white pearl, my friend. I, I was... Now it's I got was... black spots on it. So oh. it's spotted like a cow. But not purple. No, 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 no. This is a white and black pearl. White with black spots. Okay, we, we need to go get the pearl that helps the purple. I, I suppose I shouldn't confuse myself. Right, we will get this pearl for you. Thank you, kind sir. Uh, she I has a command word. Petunia. The pearl has a command yes. word. Petunia. Yes. If you I, say I the word Petunia as you're holding the pearl, well, you know what? Never mind that. Do not say the word Petunia while you're holding the pearl, please. <laughs> now you I don't want to know what curious. happens. <laughs> I'm very curious. Well, we shall go get this pearl for you. I'm assuming you can pay. 
drinking pain milk. That's that sounds good. Yes, yes. I, I think we can agree to your terms. And we perhaps should go. with the milk, I'll throw in a couple copper. We shall go and get this pearl for you. Now, I do have uh, one final thing to tell you. Oh, yes. And let me tell you, truth, sir, is a cow that will yield such people no more milk, and so they are gone to milk the bull. I am sure you understand what I'm trying to tell you, right? Yes, Crystal. Good. Now go on, find my pearl, please. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, I loved that little bit at the end there. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, I struggled to find a cow saying what page with some... Uh, yeah. So I, that quote is attributed to Samuel Johnson. And it says, Truth, sir, is a cow that will yield such people no more milk, and so they are gone to milk the bull. <laughs> I don't I know how good it. that was, but that's what I got. <laughs> no, that's great. That's exactly it's, what it's we're looking for. It's nine in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's seven here. So yeah, totally. That's that's what we're looking for. Cool. Okay, the next question, uh, we're kind of just getting into your uh, your work and your, your blog and such here. So tell us about NewbieDM.com, where the idea came from, how you got started, and how it's been going. So NewbieDM.com came about because at the time, back in... Again, I'm going back a decade or a little more, a little over a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a thing called the RPG Bloggers Network, and it was a com- it was a it was a combination of blogs. It was kind of like a network, a centralized website where different blogs were listed. And I would go to that website and read all the different blogs. They would link all the all the new blogs would appear there, like all the new articles. That's where I discovered people like. Chatty DM. That's where I discovered people like Critical Hits and 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 all sorts of different blogs. So I said, "Oh, this is fun. Let me write my own blog." Since I just started DMing, I can you know talk about my experiences as a brand new DM and and yeah. what I learned along the way. Maybe I could write about it, and people can learn from me. You know, that might be cool. And that's how it started. I I put in for an application to join the RPG Bloggers Network. They accepted it. And the blog started, you know, building up a, a little following and, and people would comment and, and people were, some people had come into D&D with fourth edition. So it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a huge, like mind hive type thing where we were talking to each other on the blog and sharing things. And, and I would post pictures and I would post my, my experiences. Every time I finished a session, I'd write about it. Like, and I guess that's, that's where it came in. The name newbie DM was just because that was me, you know, I was a newbie DM. So. Why not share that with the world? And you know, the blog is still active. I still I still run the blog. It's I've deviated a bit from you know the original intent of the blog. I'm no longer a newbie. Obviously, I've been doing this for, for a while now. And, and and now I tend to I don't blog as much anymore on the blog, although I still every now and then do, but you know, I've taken to Twitter as my main micro blogging uh, you know outlet now. Yeah. Yeah, oftentimes I feel like it's late at night because it's late for me, so it must be late for you. You'll you'll pose questions about how to run a certain encounter or you'll ask something like, you know, it seems like all dwarves have names like Strong Hammer, but it seems like it's a, a name in common even though they would have a dwarven name, right? And what what's yeah. up with that? And, you know, it's just just stuff like that and I love it. You know, it's yeah. it's always fun to see what other people are thinking of. I, I do a lot of that at night only because everybody here in my house has gone to bed and I'm yeah. no longer needed. 
<laughs> and that's when I have like some me time, you know, and I sit at my computer and I just, that's when I'm working on my game, for example. Like I work on uh-huh. my game late at night with my prep. And then I'll just throw things out at Twitter and see what, you know, I find that Twitter has a different audience at one in the morning than it does at two in the afternoon. <laughs> it know? does. But it does. Me, I guess. I'm the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and I truly enjoy Twitter. Like I'm a prolific Twitter user because I, I do enjoy the experience and I like interacting with people. You know, like there's people, I have a lot of followers there that never interact with me, you know, and, and it every now and then I like I'll reach out or like if I see someone follow me or someone like a post, you know, I'll reach out to them and say, hey, you know, you never say hi, what's up? <laughs> you know, like stuff like that, because of what's the point of following each other, or, you know, following people if you're not going to interact with them, right? So Very fair. Next couple of questions are from some of my patrons. So the first one is uh, from Pun. Thanks, Pun, for the question. Did you find yourself looking for a lot of the kinds of resources that you have put in your blog at the beginning and that's why you decided to centralize them? Or, you know, did you find these resources elsewhere and compile them into a place that's easy to for people to find? A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, I was the resource. So I just wanted to put it all, you know, at a glance, easy to easy to find. So yeah, a little bit of both. Okay. Second question is from Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. Next question. So part of your blog is, or, or part of the, the stuff that you've worked on is you've designed some games for kids and you even played them with your own kids. So what have you enjoyed most about playing TTRPGs with family members? And this is coming from a place where my table is is mostly family members and then a couple of friends, you know? So, you know, I, I really enjoy it too. But yeah, tell me about what what's most uh, fun and fulfilling for you. When I started playing... I wrote a game called RPG Kids mm-hmm. back in like 2010, 2009, something like that. And the reason I did that is because my daughter was about four years old and I really wanted to involve my family in my hobby, right? When you're a new dad with little kids, your playtime is a little compromised, right? Because you got a family, you got to take care of, you got to be around for them. And, and, and she always expressed interest in the little minis on my table when we were playing 4E. So I thought, oh, you know, might be fun. I can get some extra, extra me time and I can involve her in my, my hobby and whatnot. And I wrote this game for her, right? And it, we played together a few times. She liked it. You know, it, it taught her, you know, we used it for like counting because it's, it's basically just a little counting game. Count the squares that you move and add up dice. You know, I kept it simple for her. And it was super fun. And, and what I found was that she had like this awesome imagination to like come up with stuff, you know, like, oh, you're being attacked by skeletons, you know, magical skeletons. And, you know, when you're five years old, you might not know what a skeleton is, but <laughs> but, but, but she would run with it, you know, because I would show her pictures and whatnot. And I found it really fun. In general, I thought that the kids market was underserved yeah. in, in D&D and in tabletop role-playing games in general. That was always something that I felt was a missed opportunity for a lot of companies. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I do think RPG Kids helped pave the way for some of what you see today with, with kids' games. I think a lot of companies realized that there was a demand for that type of content, and they jumped on it. Was it due to RPG Kids? You know, I don't want to say it was. I'm not going to be that arrogant. But but I do believe it did make people notice, because online it built quite a quite a following. And the hashtag, you know. You would post, people would post pictures with their kids and playing with their kids. And, and I ran a few games for people at Gen Con um, of RPG kids with their families. And, and it was always fun. And I, and I do think it had an impact. I don't want to take the full credit for it because it's, 
obviously uh, it's not, but I, I do feel that that it opened people's minds and eyes to that segment of the, of the market that was underserved. Yeah, definitely. My family is not interested in RPGs at all. When I play RPGs <laughs> now, it's my thing. Like they don't, my wife isn't into it. My kids aren't really into it. Yeah. That's something I do with my friends and they tend to just ignore it. <laughs> all right. Well, that that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I had a, a guest on a few months ago. Her name's Steph and she has put together a, a blog not unlike yours, but it's dedicated to kids' games. So it, it is cool to see that, you know, RPG Kids being one of the first that was really published out there. Like you said, I, I feel like there's a lot of fun to be had with your kids if you give it a chance. Yeah, I remember there was a there was a game that came out called Hero Kids a few years ago that, that became, you know, pretty popular in that world, you know, in the, the kids' gaming scene. And the reason Hero Kids came out was because the guy found RPG Kids to be lacking in what he wanted out of <laughs> out of a game for kids, and he, so he yeah. decided I'm going to make my own. And that's kind of the spirit of the thing, right? This game doesn't work for me. Let me go make a version of this game that works for me. So yeah. I thought that was great, you know. And the guy did a great job with the game, and he published a lot of content for it. I don't know if he still is, but it was a lot of content. The reason I bring it up is because I, I know for a fact that he wrote the game because he found, you know, my offering to be too too simplistic for for his needs. So there's definitely a market for that type of stuff. And there's definitely an audience for it. And I think more companies should embrace the kids market. Yeah, I think you're right. It's amazing to me, for example, that a company like like Fantasy Flight never embraced the kids market for like a Star Wars RPG. To me, Star Wars is it's probably the biggest on-ramp to RPGs, even probably bigger than D&D. And, they, and none of the companies that run Star Wars have managed to, to tap into that. Yeah. Uh, which I find completely fascinating I, you know surprising i don't know what the word is but you know it's kind of ridiculous honestly it is i mean like half of the franchise nowadays is selling toys you know yeah, like that's is. that's the point I mean, they're introducing all of these characters so they can sell more toys and stuff yeah. to kids who love star wars like yeah, it seems like an obvious funnel yeah you're right <laughs> makes me want to design some kids games maybe i'll take a crack at it so Lately, you've played in some really fun charity streams and similar things. What are some of your favorite experiences playing with and interacting with the community? This could be conventions. This could be, you know, these stream games. This could be something else. Yeah. So I think my favorite thing, I've made a lot of friends being online and playing D&D online and talking about D&D online and just, you know, beyond playing in a stream or, or, or charities and, you know, and that's fun too. I, I just have a funny story. I, one of my good friends, Alpha Stream, uh, Teos Abidala, who's online a lot, and, and he's written a few things here and there. He has a great blog called Alpha Stream, and he's worked on Wizards products and, and D&D products. He's a huge advocate for the game. I met him online. I've met him in person as well. I've you know, interacted with him outside of Twitter. We were playing in a stream last week, and, and my character was forced to hit his character, and I Gave him a critical face, a critical hit in the face with my axe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> and that was funny. But but I think you know to answer your question, I really like the community aspect of this whole thing and meeting people and interacting with people and you know having a common interest and just being able to knowing that I can go online and chat with someone who likes the stuff I like and mm -hmm. being able to just have a cool conversation about it is is really the most uh, you know rewarding thing about all this. Yeah. All right. What do you have any upcoming projects that you're particularly excited about that you can share with us? I do. 
my ADD doesn't let me finish any of them, but, you know, I try. One of the things that's on my mind lately is I want to convert the RPG Kids adventures that I wrote for RPG Kids into 5e. Yeah. And, and make them a simple sort of, I'm thinking of ways to distill 5e down to like a very basic kids experience. But I'm not looking to write a rule book for kids. I'm right. really looking to present adventures and maybe with some pre-gen characters in those adventures. And, and I'm trying to, I'm thinking right now of what the most basic version of a 5e character for kids would be, right? And what do they really need versus what's nice to have, right? So I'm working through that because my goal is to still make it friendly for kids, little kids, not not big kids. Big kids can play D&D. Mm -hmm. This is for little kids. And so I'm trying to, I'm working my way through that and, and giving it a lot of thought because I think that's something that might be a fun project to work on. And then I have my my YouTube channel and my Twitch, which don't get the attention that they should. And, and, and I wish I could devote to them, but I'm always thinking of what I could be doing on there differently or better. And the problem is that a lot of it is already being done really well. And I'm a big believer in having a niche and finding a niche. Um, I think one of the successes early on with my blog was that it was a niche blog, right? It was a new DM talking about his new experiences, you know, DMing this new game. And it was kind of like, you know, I, I believe in niche, uh -huh. being, finding a niche and sticking to it. And I don't know yet what my niche could be on video. You know, there's two paths here, right? There's either an actual play live stream, which I think, you know, yeah, if I did that, I, you know, I may have a little bit of an audience there and people might come in to, to see me run a game and whatnot. But I'm not a big streaming guy. My home group does not want me to stream our games. They're not interested in, you know, in being public. Yeah. And I have to respect that. And then the other avenue is, and I don't know if I, I'm sorry, and I don't know if I have time to run a second game during the week for people who might want to be streamed, you know. So I got to choose my poison there, right? And I like my home group plenty. And they're friends of mine from, you know, 30 years or whatever. So I'm not ready to give that up. And then the second avenue is, well, I could do a video series, you know, newbie DM on video, but yeah, you know, there's so many people doing that and it's so well done, you know, Mike. Mike has a great video show and, you know, his YouTube channel has exploded and, you know, the whole slight flourish thing. And, and just like him, there's tons of other ones that are doing it already. So what am I going to add to it? I do a thing on Twitter where I preview products that get sent to me, you know, for review copies or whatever. That's a niche, right? That's a niche thing that I do on Twitter that I think it's, you know, people enjoy. People seem to enjoy the Twitter format of previews and reviews and stuff like that. Does that translate to video? No. I mean, there's tons of people doing that stuff on video now. So mm, I, I don't know if I'm gonna if the video thing is really something that that I can grow. I, I haven't found the the thing I want to do there yet. I'm still thinking about it. But yeah, when I turned this into a podcast, I wasn't aware of all of the different interview podcasts that were out there. Yeah. I'll be honest, but I at least you know feel like asking the the question about what mistakes and stuff you've made. I, I couldn't find mm -hmm. anybody else who was kind of focusing on that aspect. So that was nice. But I agree with you. It is hard. There are so many creators out there. You really do want to find something that differentiates yourself, a new perspective or a new, you know, thing that, that you bring that, that other people aren't bringing. So right. hopefully you find something good. And if not, then maybe, 
you know, video takes a lot of time anyway, so maybe it's not worth it. Well, I mean, the other thing is that I work in television, right? So right. in my mind, it's like, do I really want to sit down and edit video after I've been looking at video all day at work? Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's something that I think about a lot, and at the end, I end up not doing much. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, but I think with my Twitter, you know, I think I do a good amount of tweeting to call myself a creator, right? Like, you know, because like, you go through these moments of self-doubt and imposter syndrome where you're like, well, am I really a creator? And sometimes I have to, like, bring myself back down to earth and say, yeah, man, you are. Like, you know, the stuff you do on Twitter is creating and, and people do get something out of it. And, you know, yeah. you, you are helping people and you are, you know, creating stuff that people seem to enjoy. So, yeah, you're a creator. You know, So maybe that's my niche. You know, maybe I've moved on to being the, the Twitter guy. Yeah, maybe. Like you said, you, you people value your opinion and they they value your advice. So, yeah, I think so. All right, the the last couple of questions here. If you had to distill your advice to people running games into like a few key points, what do you feel like those points are? And th- this can be for new DMs for, you know, DMs who've been running game for a while and everybody in between. Like I said earlier, I think my number one rule is start small. Don't try to be Tolkien on day one because you're not going to do it. You know, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with the, you know, with the go kill rats in the cellar starting adventure for first level characters who've never played D&D before. That's perfectly fine and it's perfectly valid to play that type of game early on. You know, start small, keep it simple. Don't get bogged down with the rules. If, if you're confused about a rule, keep going and read it later and, and think about it later. And don't be scared to let the players infringe on what you perceive to be the dm's territory you see a lot of dms who try to be too protective of their world and what they think the game should be and well in my world i don't allow you know this and that and this class that does this and that because in my world and and like dude it's not your world man you guys are creating a shared world together Mm-hmm. And maybe when you play with a different group of players, maybe, you know, your world will be different from the world you are creating with this group of players here. Like, there's nothing wrong with letting players be players and letting players create and letting players let the world grow around them. Like, this is their world. It's not anybody else's world. Players are the stars of the movie you guys are creating together. Let them. Don't put roadblocks because my world doesn't allow whatever i've read so many stupid things on facebook groups about what my world (laughs) allows or doesn't allow that i you know yeah i I laugh now when i read those type of things but really like embrace the players that want to add to the lore it takes work away from you like there's nothing wrong with saying well you you've been walking you know the entire morning you've been walking across the the fields here and you come across a waterfall and this waterfall you can smell the water the water smells sweet for some reason Barundor, what do you see in this waterfall? What's going on here? Why is this water sweet and what's falling from? What are those colors that you see shining off the water? And let them describe it. Who cares? You know, let, let them get involved in the in the narrative a little bit. There's really nothing wrong with that style of play. And, and it just takes work off your shoulders. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like you said, I think there's a lot of value in, in allowing your players to be creative and to world build with you because then they feel ownership of it as much as you do. Yeah. The world is being created for them. So why not let them take an active role in the creation and the the building of it? You know, that Mm -hmm. for that, then just go write a novel, you know, and go get published as an author. 
you know, if what you're trying to do is create a novel, then go, go write your novel and go get published as an author and good luck to you. you know? Yeah. All right. Last question is where can people find you and your work? So you can find me at www.nubidm.com, which is my blog. You can find me on Twitter at NubiDM. And you can find me in Miami working on various sports television productions. Awesome. <laughs> mostly, mostly you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm usually uh, very active on Twitter. I'm, you know, I'm there all the time and I'm constantly, constantly checking Twitter. So yep. I guess that's, that's the best place to find me. Tweeting hot takes about The Mandalorian and Boba Fett most recently. Yep. Tweeting yep. hot takes about Star Wars, D&D, and anything else that, that yeah. comes across. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Enrique. It's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the blog and also, like you said, your perspectives on things. You know, uh, I've been following you for a while now, and it's just fun to, to see what's on your mind. So, yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, I've really enjoyed hearing all of the advice you have for everybody. Thank you for inviting me on Dark. It was a lot of fun and good luck with the show. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, game designer Grant Howitt, known for Honey Heist, Goblin Quest, and many more amazing mini and full tabletop role-playing games. I want to reiterate that. Like, there's a, a principle I have for game design, which is a lot of like really established kitchens have a mother of yeast in them. Which is uh, like, a, like an, an open pot of yeast, which they used to bake bread, like sourdough. Bread. And everything that's cooked in the kitchen, no matter what happens to it, those air particles go up and they land in the yeast. So even if you completely burn a meal and have to throw it away, well, it's still yeast. And that's kind of how I view game design and prep and everything and research is like, well, it's all it's all happened. It's all I did. You can reuse that. You can take it apart. You can you can learn from it in some way. To hear more about Grant's philosophies on running games and game design, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping me grow. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My new intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.